Well, in 2 Samuel 19, as we continue the life of David, Lord, open our hearts now by your great grace to hear all that your spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we left off with David winning the battle but losing his son Absalom. And we saw at the end of that chapter, 1833, and the king was deeply moved and went out to the chamber over the gate and wept. And he went, he said, oh, my son Absalom, my, oh, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And so David is not rejoicing in the victory. He can, the only thing he sees is that he lost his son, Absalom. Nothing else is important to him at this moment. We did get a chance last to end last week with a powerful note where David is saying, I wish I could die in my son's place. And boy, how that was the heart of Jesus. Remember, we looked at that passage in Job where Job said, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in trouble unless God provides a mediator between me and God. And Job said, I need somebody to be able to put his hand on my shoulder and somebody to be able to put his hand on God's shoulder and mediate between us. And in essence, he's saying, to, you gotta be a man to put the hand on man's shoulder and you gotta be God to put a hand on God's shoulder, prophesying clearly that that mediator would be 100% man according to the flesh and 100% God according to the spirit. And that's a perfect description. And then Job speaks in faith and he says, I know my redeemer lives. I know such a person's out there and I will one day stand before him with joy and celebration when I, I do stand before God. He, that mediator is gonna make me right with the Almighty. And of course, David couldn't do this for his son. No man can do it. But there is one who was perfect, the perfect Lamb of God, who could take away not only the sin of one man, but the sin of the whole world. Since he was man, he could die in our place. Since he was God, all that he did is eternal for all men, for all times. Well, it continues on where David in, in chapter 19 now is continuing to weep. And uh, Joab was told, behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard it said that day, the king is grieved for his son. And the people stole back into the city that day as people who are ashamed to steal away when they flee in battle. So they felt like cowards. They felt like people that had, had cowardously hid in the rocks until the battle was over and then snuck back in to act like they were not cowards. So David's inappropriate mourning had put this sense of shame on the people Again, for David at this time, it was a self-indulgent morning. It was selfish on his part. Remember, we saw in chapter 18, verse 7, that 20 
thousand men had died in this battle. So let, let's just take a note. That's a lot of sons <laughs> that had died. And these people were willing to put aside the death of their son to be joyful to usher David back as king. But David didn't care about anything but his son. And the Bible makes it clear that mourning is, is wonderful, it's, it's human, it's, it's healing, but there's a right time, there's a right season for everything. There's a time and purpose under heaven for every season, it tells us in Ecclesiastes. And in chapter 3, verse 4 of Ecclesiastes, there's a time to weep, but then there's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. And as difficult as this was for David, he needed to put aside his weeping and mourning and laugh and dance at the great sacrifice these people gave to see David come back uh, as king and to put their lives on the line to support his kingdom. Also, I, I think it was grievous because a part of this was, was uh, a mourning in unbelief. Remember back, David had, well, several sons die, but he had another example of another son dying, a baby boy. Remember Bathsheba gave birth to a boy that was dying and David was praying and fasting and asking God to have mercy and the child wouldn't die. And then finally, when he saw his servants whispering and he realized the child's dead, he asked the servants, and they were afraid because they thought David might do himself harm because he was so uh, deeply mourning over his, the sickness of his son. He thought now that he died, he'll hurt himself. And David said, did the child die? And he goes, yes. He got up and bathed himself, said, hey, I'm hungry. And they were confused. And they said, hold it. Now's when you should be mourning. But David said this, my child shall not come to me, but I shall go to my child. So he had great mourning, but it was a mourning in faith. Paul talks about this inappropriate, self-indulgent mourning that actually defames God. He says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So we need to sorrow because there's a great loss for us. But we need to realize, as it says in Psalms, blessed is in the eyes of the Lord is the death of the saints. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. So even in the midst of all our mourning, which great and painful as it is, there is a faith in it saying, but they shall not come to me, but I shall go to them. Well then in verse four, the king covered his face and the king cried out with a loud voice, oh my son Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, my son. And Joab came into the house of the king and said, Today you've disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life and the lives of your sons and the daughters and the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines in that you love your enemies and hate your friends. Now you've got to realize Joab himself was constantly unsubmissive to David and didn't respect him because he had a trump card on David. 
he had probably the letter sent to him from the hand of Uriah saying, kill this guy. One of his own mighty men, the husband of Bathsheba, when David couldn't get him to compromise and lay with his wife and pretend that the baby that she was pregnant with was his baby, and, and since he was gone on battle, it knew it would be somebody else's baby. So when he couldn't get him to compromise, David murdered him. And, and so Joab knew, it's like, you can't get rid of me. I, I know where the skeletons are buried, literally. And so Joab had a, had a disrespect for David, but also a, a impropriety in which it gave him the ability to speak just directly and, and not as to the king as he should. But nevertheless, he lays into him. He's right. I mean, Joab sometimes is right. He's just not right in what he does and how he does it. He says, for you have declared today you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. Now, therefore, arise, go out and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord... If you do not go out, no one will stay with you this night, and that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. I would say that is a serious exaggeration. You know, if you don't get things right, things are going to be, you're going to have the worst day of your life from this point going forward. I, I don't think that was the case. I think people understood how, how, difficult it is for the loss of a son and and that David would go through that it may not have been the best moment of David's life in 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 letting the people celebrate and sharing with them but it wasn't going to be by any means the worst day of his life but David got it it doesn't seem he doesn't seem like his heart was in it he did it joyfully but he did his kingly duty the king arose sat in the gate they told all the people saying there is the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king, for every one of Israel had fled to his tent. So they all come out, and the shame is starting to disappear, and, and David is there. It doesn't sound like he's smiling or happy or energetic. You know, he rather would just lay on his bed and cry. But if you've lost a loved one, you, you, you know how this is. Life has to go on. You would, you would love to just lay in bed and cry for a couple of years, but you can't you got to start living for the living. you still got to cook the food and clean the house and go to work. And, and, and in the midst of the sorrow, you've got to move forward. And, and David is having to move forward, even though he would rather stop and spend some time mourning. Can't be done. And that's often the case. And in verse 9, now all the people were in a dispute throughout the tribes of Israel saying, the king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, we all did it. The majority of everybody was for Absalom, embracing Absalom, has died now in battle. That, that dream is over. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king. So if this was anybody but David, <laughs> the conquering general comes in with force and says, how dare all of you, you tried to take me down, you didn't succeed, and then now he's going to rule with a, 
a meanness to let everybody know to not ever challenge him again. But David, as you remember, did not in any way put himself on the throne. He waited decade after decade until Saul died. And even then he didn't do it. God said, go to Hebron. And there he waited. And only his own tribe came to him for seven and a half years. So there was a civil war as David just waited for everybody to, to sort things out. And finally, after that seven and a half year civil war, they came to David and said, we're all on the same page now. We want to receive you as king. And then David took them to Jerusalem. And so um, here they're saying, you know, we knew. We knew who David was. He was this guy that we were stuck in a rut for decades before Saul, during Saul. The Philistines are greater than us. They're on every side of us. We, we never really had success or peace or prosperity until David. And David, as a little boy, killed Goliath. As a general, as a young man, the youngest of the generals, he gave us victories. And then we had total victory once he was king. But we weren't satisfied. We got bored. <laughs> it's just the nature of man, isn't it? It doesn't matter how great things are. It becomes normal, right? I mean, the teenagers eat mom's food. Oh, I'm tired of this, you know. And then they go off to college or the military or get their own place. And they're like, oh, mom's cooking. Oh, mom, this is the best thing ever. It was, it was the best thing. You just had it every day. And so you didn't understand how good it was until you didn't have it. That's just our nature, right? Familiarity breeds content, contempt. Last Sunday night, we had a lady who was visiting here from Hawaii, goes to the Calvary Chapel there for a long time. And she came, and she was a part of the church service. And afterwards, she came, and she goes, do you, do you guys know what's going on here? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? She just said, the moment the service started, it was like I was sitting under this giant waterfall, and God's Spirit was just pouring upon me. I have not sensed God's Spirit like this since 30 years ago at the beginning of the Jesus movement. And I'm like, yes, we are aware of that happening. It just happens every week <laughs> that, that we we've need to be reminded of it. And thank you. Yes, God is doing a special thing here amongst us, a pure work, an outpouring of his spirit in, in amazing ways. And I, I just say to all of us, be it unto you according to your faith. You know, David said, I'm going to open my mouth wide, O God, that you might fill it. David said, I heard you say, God, seek my face. And so my soul said, O Lord, your face will I seek. Has our king done great things for us? As he died and rose again, has he taken all our sins away? Has he now received you as his child and wrote your name in his book of life, your name written in heaven? Are any of us worthy of that? And then we stumble and fall every day. And every day his mercies are new every morning. We can come seven times a day or 70 times seven a day. And where our sin abounds, his grace abounds more. 
And every single time when we come into his throne room of grace, there's mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And he is there with great love and compassion and sympathy to strengthen us. And yet we, as all men have done, grow flippant, grow unappreciative, grow to say, well, thanks, Jesus, for dying on the cross, and uh, uh, yeah, he rose again. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, you forgive me. I'm really cool. Thanks, God. You know, and, and, and we, we stop to remember how rich and how great and how awesome this salvation is in which we have. And this is, again, why we have communion, to remember his death until he comes, to remember that salvation is free for us, but it was not free for our God who so loved the world gave his only begotten son because that was the only way in which we could be saved to have a mediator, God himself, to come and to die in our place. Well, they're, they're reasoning and they're trying to figure it out and they're, they're telling the people, hey, think about this. David, you know, he, he never made himself king. He didn't come in and kill Saul and blood all over the throne and Paul's, Saul's dead body being dragged out to the heap pile and then David, you know, dusts the throne off and cleans up the blood and sets down and says, okay, there's a new king in town. That never happened. David was just a little shepherd boy, content as could be, being a little shepherd boy in Bethlehem. And God came and got him through Samuel. And as a little boy, rejected all of his brothers and anointed David king. Saul was having these demons come upon him and, and torment him. And they came and found David and said, David, come and play the instrument. And David, being anointed by the Spirit as he would play the various instruments, the, the demons would stop harassing Saul. And then he became known in the court. And then he killed Goliath. And then they knew of him and they made him a general and, and so forth. God did it. God raised him up. So David is not now, well, I'm going to make sure they know who the king in town is. No. And let me tell you, Jesus said it right. Who are you, Jesus? I am one who's lowly and gentle of heart. He will not force his way into your life. And let me tell you this, even as a believer, you know that the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things can come and begin to choke out that once fruitful vine that you were. And slowly you bump Jesus off the throne of your life and you put something else in its place. And it's a miserable place. You got too much of God to enjoy the world. You got too much of the world to enjoy God. And, and, and the Lord is there as he says to the church of Laodicea, you guys are worshiping me, but I'm outside knocking on the door wanting to come in. Who does that say to? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It's written to the church. It's written to believers. If any man, believers, Christians, 
will open the door and let me in and take the rightful place of himself upon the throne. So this is an amazing parallel once again as we see David, such an example and such a type in so many ways of, of Christ. Well, in verse 11, so King David now realizes this argument's going on. Nobody's winning or losing. There's this uh, apathy. There's this unwillingness. There's just, they're all sort of neutralized. Nothing's going to happen. So the king, David, sends the priest Zadok and Abathar speak to the elders of Judah saying, why are you last to bring the king back to his house since the words of all Israel have come to the king to this very house? You are my brother and you are my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king? The priests, Zadok and Abathar, I need you guys to go. Here's the words I want you to speak, my words in your mouth. And I want you to go tell them this. Interesting that our king has done that to us. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be what? Reconciled to God, reconciled to the king. We, Peter says, are his royal priesthood. We, the church, the believers, every one of us are priests unto God, according to the New Testament. And we are all as priests, every one of us, to be ambassadors and to go and to tell them that the king wants to reconcile himself to you, but now he's waiting on you to be willing to reconcile yourself to him. Now, in particular, Absalom's general, you would think, oh, you know, I, I'm going to give everybody a pass, but not one of the strongest leaders that opposed me. The general who was the guy out to destroy me, Absalom's right-hand man, I've got to get rid of him, Amasa. That, that's just sort of, you know, insanity if you don't. But notice the heart of David in this. And in verse 13, I want you to be ambassador in particular to a person, Amasa. Are you not my bone and my flesh? He was of the same tribe of Judah. God do so to me and more also if you are not commander of the army. Love this before me continually in the place of Joab. I've got to get rid of that guy. <laughs> he has been trying for a while. That guy is, uh, is, you know, like gum stuck on his shoe. He can't get rid of that guy. But I want you to come, and I'm not just making you general for a show, and then I'm going to stab you in the back room. I'm not just going to give you this for a year and then demote you. I want you to continually, from this point forward, always be the general of Israel. I don't think anybody was expecting that. I mean, I'm sure Zadok and Abathar are going, what? They're writing down the message. Are, are, are you sure on this one, David? And then I'm sure as they're speaking to the tribe of Judah and David has a message for you, Amasa. Oh, here it comes. I knew that other foot was going to drop. 
David's going to give the tribe of Judah peace if you throw out the head of Amasa. That was what was expected. But what do we discover? That David the king, like our Lord the king, looks at Amasa and just says, here is an amazing guy that I want to use. We looked at last week there in Romans 5 where it said, when did Christ die for us? When we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. And here it is now we see that this guy who was an enemy of David, David just says, no, I, I'm not thinking murder. I'm not thinking I hate you. I'm not thinking I want to, you know, torture you or bring you down. Quite the opposite. And boy, I just want to help all of us today to understand that God doesn't think that way. God is not looking at anybody on this earth thinking, now there's a guy I can't wait to judge on the day of judgment. Boy, if you think that, read the book of Ezekiel. The Lord says he does not rejoice in the destruction of the wicked. The Lord has made so many examples to show where, where people, the Lord is calling them into salvation up to the last second of their last breath. God desires, wishes all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. There's one person in this universe that's rooting for you. Even if you're here today and you are a Satanist, an abortion doctor, you're the next Hitler. God's Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And his Holy Spirit is telling you, and hopefully through priests as ambassadors going out to tell you, you can be reconciled to God. God loved you and he has great thoughts towards you. Psalms 139, 17, David speaks and he says, how precious are also are your thoughts towards me, O God. How great is the sum of them. What was David's victory through so much sin? We're going to see David just do atrocious things. Matter of fact, it's not over. David is, in his elderly years, going to get prideful and count his armies to see how powerful he is. And 70,000 people in one day die because of that. God clearly said, don't do that. And, but yet he, he knows, it's like, I, I may stumble, I may fall, I may really mess up, but God, you, you are always for me, never against me. In Psalm 17, 8, it, it talks about, in Zechariah 2, 8, it talks about how the, the Lord sees every one of us as the apple of his eye. When uh, Corey Timboom and her sister and her elderly dad at that time, I, I think almost 90 years old, were being arrested for hiding Jews there in Holland during the Holocaust. They were hitting them with the butt of the gun and pushing them and, and uh, they were pushing his elderly dad and hitting him with the, the butt of the gun and knocking him down. And, and Corey, who was always very protective, just looked with anger and, and, and was getting ready to just take on those Nazi soldiers. For, and her dad saw it. And, and he looked at Corey and he said, Corey, don't forget these 
guys are the apple of God's eye. These are the guys that Jesus died for. These are the guys that God loves more than anybody here. Don't, don't hate them. Understand, this is your mission. <laughs> these guys right here, God's looking at these Nazis hitting me, and God is looking at them going, oh, I'm so angry, I want to kill him. God's looking at them with compassion going, I paid for every one of that Nazi guy's sin. And you need to keep that in mind, Corey. We are the apple of God's eye. Well, David's desire not only to not kill him, but he wants to raise him up. And I would just simply say, you know, Amasa went from this guy that was wondering whether he would live much longer to a guy that hears, David admires you. He loves you. He wants to make you his general. He wants to bless your life from this point forward till the day uh, David's no longer king. He, you, you, you have your life set of blessing before you. I, again, this, the, in this we love God when we understand first his love for us. And I would just say to any of you today that have distanced yourself from the king, if any of you here have become an enemy of the king, to understand God's heart towards you and desire for salvation, and you say, well, I, I'm so bankrupt, I am so blasé, I'm so apathetic, my heart is so hard, I'm, I, I don't have any strength to, to even want to care about not being right with God. But nevertheless, the Lord's brought you here to hear this message today. And you know what? The Lord predicted that people are, would be like that. And what was the Lord's help? In Isaiah 55, 1, it says, Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and, fight and milk without money and without price. And then on down in verse 3 and 4, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and the commander of the people. So these sure mercies of David now rest upon you. And in essence, David has freely received of the mercies of God. And now he's freely giving. Remember, David had sinned with Bathsheba and murdered her husband Uriah. And he, month after month, was just falling apart. He said his bones were melting within him. And what did God do? God sent the prophet Nathan. God sought out David. God pursued David. And there, in a very gentle way, God revealed to Nathan... Or, Nathan was able through a, a, a parable to reveal David his, where he's at. And David said, I've sinned. And in the same verse, he said, you're forgiven. But David knew that he, he didn't have the faith. He didn't have the strength. He didn't have the ability to believe and to see through the fog of how he could get forgiven. And God saw that, and God sought him, and God sent the perfect word to him. And, and David said, here I am with no money. Here I am with no strength. And he goes, you don't have to. I'm going to hand you the water. I'm going to give you the milk. You, you without money, come by and eat. 
And this is where the Lord is right now to every one of us. In Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God is saying, if you will understand what I am saying to you as the king, but I was the general opposing you. I was trying to kill you. I was trying to overthrow you. I was trying to get you off the throne and keep you off the throne and put somebody else on the throne. And, and, and the king is saying, let's just, let's just talk about this moment. My heart for you is to see you raised up, not brought down to see you forgiven and have joy and confidence in my heart of forgiveness towards you. Well, it says in verse 14 and 15, so these priests went and they swayed all the hearts of all the men of Judah, just as the heart of one man. So they sent this word to the king, return you all your servants and the king returned and came to the Jordan. And Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the king, to escort the king across the Jordan. So notice here, they went out and they got the king. They went out and received the king, met the king, escorted the king. And David was never going to come back into Jerusalem unless that was the case. He was not going to walk into Jerusalem. He was going to be with 100% unanimous heart saying, come. And that's exactly what happened. He was, they were willing to receive him, so David was willing to go. Notice here, though, they swayed the hearts of the men. It doesn't seem like they just read a letter and said, take it or leave it. But they spoke on behalf of David with passion and zeal and persuasion to say, well, David says now he's going to forgive us. But as soon as we're inside that wall, he's going to kill it. No, 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 no. That is not the heart of the king. Well, you know, he might let me be the general for a few days and then he'll. No, 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 no. You're, I understand your paranoia. <laughs> and I understand that that's the way man thinks. But David is unique. David is a man who understands mercy and love and forgiveness and kindness and and, and this, is, this is the truth. And, and Satan is a liar. Satan is just an accuser of the brethren. Satan just constantly wants you to think God has an attitude and he's giving out his mercy and forgiveness, you know, stubbornly and like, oh, here's some forgiveness if you have to have it. And, and we, as ambassadors, we must continue to represent the heart of our king in this world. Remember Romans said, how will they believe unless they hear? We, we just looked on Wednesday night with Moses and, and he's just like, hey, you need to go back to Egypt and deliver the children of Israel. And, and Moses is like, yeah, not feeling it. <laughs> Good idea, God, but let me tell you, Everybody is better qualified than I am. You, you are picking for sure. I know you're God and I know you know all things, but this time you got it wrong, God. Somebody else is going to do that job, not me. And we know the story, don't we? God says, no, it's you. And God is saying that to us. He said to every one of us, 
go into all the world and make disciples, right? Notice it says, in particular, 2 Timothy 4.2, Timothy was willing to go through the motions as a pastor, but he wasn't willing to sway the hearts of the people into a passionate, obedient life to God. He was willing to, you know, go through the motions as a pastor, but not to, with persuasion, convince the people to follow Christ. And so Paul tells him in 2 Timothy 4.2, which is God saying to all of us, we are all ministers of Christ, preach the word. Be ready in season when you're filling it and when? Out of season when you're not filling it. It's, your body's not going to be in, in accordance with what God's calling you to do. Your body's going to go, mm, no, not the right timing, not enough time, not feeling good enough, not feeling spiritual enough, not, we're going to most of the time find ourselves convincing ourselves it's out of season. And God is saying there is no out of season. Convince, look at that, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Notice in verse five of that same passage, 2 Timothy 4, 5, but you be watchful in all things, endure affliction. You're, you're gonna pay the price. Do, do the work. It doesn't say the, the fun celebration, you know, the joy. It's a work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Do you think these priests wanted to go across and confront people that hate their guts? <laughs> that just tried to overthrow David. I need you guys to go over and to talk to the, oh, ah, my stomach's hurting. <laughs> oh, you know, David, I, I am not the confrontive type of guy. You know, I, I boy, live and let live, and I, I just, I like to fly under the radar and get along with everybody, and I just, I, I just can't confront. Yeah, we're all that way. We feel that way. If you don't feel that way, you need to get some help. <laughs> There's something wrong with you. Yes, we, n none of us want to tell people, you're a sinner on your way to hell. <laughs> but God's given you a way, one way of salvation through Jesus Christ. But yet somebody swayed us. Somebody very uncomfortable to them pried into our private world, and we probably slammed the door. Hey, that's religion. Stay out. That's between me and God. None of your business. We, we probably pounded people for opening that door. But yet God says, you get your face smashed. Do, you know, you just endure the affliction. I need you to convince, rebuke, exhort, until everybody in your world is swayed. Remember in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, there's some amongst you who have not the knowledge of Christ. And I speak this to your shame. It's, it's a heavy thing when some guy at work who's a horrible sinner comes to work one day and says, hey, I need to tell you about Jesus. Well, I know all about Jesus. Well, I've been in the next cubicle next to you for 10 years. I didn't know you knew about Jesus. Ah, that's to your shame. They were open to the gospel. You just were unwilling to be the ambassador that God has called us to be, not ask you if you feel up to it to do it. We are all to do the work of an evangelist. Well, they went out to meet him and receive him. They, their hearts were swayed to be ready for the king. 
Interesting, Jesus said that when the days come, in the last days before the coming of Christ, we all need to make our hearts ready to receive the king and help others to be ready for the king. Boy, I wish I could just read Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Mark 13, but we don't have time. But in Luke 21, it says this, take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, marijuana, <laughs> cares of this life. Now look at that. Not necessarily sinful things. It's just the things that are in this world make us so busy we can't take attention to spiritual things. I'm just telling you right now, guys, I am 100% positive that a lot of marriages aren't working, a lot of parenting is not working, a heart to seek after God and give yourself to the things of the ministry, to serve the body of Christ, to, to be a witness. All of these things are being undone because of the four, five, six, seven, eight hours a week you're on your cell phone, iPad, internet. It's, it's sucking away hours a week you'd never had. And you're giving it to it to the sacrifice of your marriage, the sacrifice of speaking into your kid's life, the sacrifice of not gathering together with the brethren as you ought to and giving yourself to serve the body of Christ as you ought to. And you're like, man, I'd love to, but this season of my life, I'm so busy. You're not. It's just the cares of this life. You know, Little League season, we have to not live except for Little League. You know, people, all oh, charges are left town. I'm like, praise God. <laughs> I have suffered for years hearing these ladies, you know, being the football widows. And it's not, you know, it's before the season, it's in the season. And of course, to be good, it, it, only a couple of teams are going to be, you know, even if we get real close and then we lose and it's even worse. It's almost, almost better just to be a horrible team all year. But then the two months afterwards of uh, complaining, trying to get out of the depression because they're football team. So, you know, six months out of the year, it's just miserable. And then they start doing well. The men start getting their eyes on the Lord and then football season comes again. It's like, ah, oh, this is, it's, it's not, not good for my business. <laughs> but he goes on to say there in, in Luke 21, it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So this last day is going to be a treacherous time. It's a time where there's going to be an apostasy, a great falling away. We've got to be ready to receive the king. We've got to be active in going to meet the king, receive the king, be ready in a moment, in a twinkling in an eye, to see the king. In 2 Timothy 4.8, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Boy, anybody want that? Well, here's who it's for which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not just the Apostle Paul, but to who? All those who have loved his appearing. Everybody who has that heart of excitement, I want to see the Lord's return. I want to be caught up in a moment, a twinkling an eye, and be present with the Lord in the clouds. 
and, and to go out and to say, Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready? That person, they're going to have an abundant entry. There's a special crown of righteousness to give to those who have this heart to, to receive Jesus. Man, I, I, I can't wait for tonight's prayer meeting. I'm ready just to seek the Lord right now and just cry out to him. But if you're at this place right now where you're not, listen to God's promise to you. God specifically has a, a passage for you. In Zechariah 1.3, to those who need to have the heart to receive the king, he says this. Therefore, says to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts. And what? I will return to you. Isaiah 30, verse 15, thus says the Lord of God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved, and quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And so here he, he is saying now, just you, you, you were fighting against him. You were on the wrong side in these past few weeks, months, years. Well, the king's willing to come back and sit on the throne but only to those who are willing to go out to meet him. Those who are willing to go to receive him. And that's where we come today. To say that very thing as we go into a time of worship and prayer and, and crying out to God, this is your time to say, I'm not going to leave here today until there is a confidence and a passion and a focus to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all this earth stuff, let God add it to me or take it away as he wants. I don't care. There is one thing I hear God saying right now, seek my face, and that all our souls would say, your face, O Lord, will I seek. Amen? We are going to have, at some point, some leaders over here on the sides and a couple down front. If you need prayer, you know, if you're sick, we have oil to anoint you with oil. If you're depressed, the Bible says, get prayed for. But also, uh, this is a time for you just to cry out to God in your heart as we worship and, and just, just seek him and just say, Lord, please. I want to be not 30%, not 60-fold, but 100-fold fruitful for your kingdom. Lord, do whatever it takes. I don't care the pain. I don't care the suffering. Prune, cut away, dig deep, fertilize around me. I, I want to be where I'm supposed to be in right relationship with you. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, just cry out. Lord, Jesus, my Savior, there is no other God who is Savior besides you. There can't be. It's impossible. Who else but God? can be God, and only God can come into human flesh as he desires and to, and to live the perfect life to be our substitute. There can be no other mediator. And I receive you right now, Lord, and the work you did on the cross, taking all my sins away and paying the penalty. Hell is no longer on the table if I receive the gift of salvation. Forgive me, cleanse me, heal me, wash me, purify me. And if you're here living in these last days and you're not proving yourself worthy to escape all these things. Jesus said, watch and pray. If you're saying, man, the cares of this life, the things with 
are just busying me and I am not passionate for Jesus. Things are eating up my time and I'm not seeking him in prayer. I'm not eating up the word. You said, Lord, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And I'm not receiving it. Lord, forgive me, heal me, cleanse me, wash me. 